0: Hello, vampires and (laughs) slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question is every, epi- every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after its original air date. Um, today we're a day late because, um, well, like my mom says, I don't need an excuse, but my excuse is that today, January 19th, is Buffy's birthday. So happy birthday, Buffy. If we there are different years it wasn't consistent as far as like when her birth year was throughout the series but i'm gonna go with 1980 because that makes sense that makes the most sense i think hold on yeah because she was a freshman in the year 2000 which was 20 years ago um and I was a senior in high school in 2001 and I was born in 82. It makes sense that Buffy is two years older than me, um, which is true. Cause when I first started watching Buffy in season three, that was when she was a senior in high school. And at that point I was a sophomore, I think. <laughs> so going by that. Um, so this would be, Today would be Buffy's 40th birthday. Yes. So happy 40, Buffy. (laughs) Wow, that's kind of cool. Yes. Okay. So, and it could be 81. 81 would make sense too. But again, this is a fictional character. But happy birthday, Buffy. In any case, we're doing this a day late. So today we're talking about the episode Doomed. I've got to say, I don't have a ton of notes on this particular episode, Um, first of all, momentous occasion. Let's go ahead and mark the occasion. Not only is it Buffy's birthday, but this is the first time that we're talking about something. We are talking about a Buffy episode 20 years later that is not in the nineties anymore. We're in the two thousands now. We're at 20 years ago was the year 2000. Um, depending on how old you are, dear, dear, beautiful listener, um, that may or may not seem like a long time ago to you. But to me, it does not seem like a long time ago. The year 2000, I mean, in the year 2000, I was in high school. I graduated in May of 2001. So I would have been a junior in high school. And, um, at this, at 20 years ago, I was not watching Buffy at the time because my, um, in my town, I didn't have the channel that Buffy was on. Um, and we even had cable at the time too. I think it just wasn't, it just literally was not available in my town. Um, so I couldn't watch it. Seasons four and five, I couldn't watch it all. I know I've mentioned that several times, but it's sad, you know, (laughs) I wonder how differently my life would have been if I was watching Buffy as it aired because the only season I watched as it aired the only seasons I watched as they aired were 3 when I first discovered it and then 6 and 7 when um, the channel configuration changed so that I had the channel again so that I only got to see 3 of the 7 Buffy seasons as they were airing um And I was at the perfect age to watch it all the way through. It just, it would have been really cool if I had had that experience, but I never did. So let's move on. Um, okay. I'm not sure how much I have to say about this episode. I would like to refer you to a really great episode guide for this particular episode, because I feel like I'm not going to, this episode isn't a great episode, but I feel like I'm not going to be able to do even that justice tonight. So um, I'm just going to refer you to... There is this YouTube channel. I think I've talked about it before. It's called, like, The Passionate Nerd or The Passion of the Nerd. Yes. So it's under, like, if you just go to YouTube and um, search TPN for The Passion of the Nerd. If you search TPN's Buffy Guide Doomed you will get, it's like 10 minutes long, and he does a really, really great job. I love his episode guides. I don't watch them every time as part of my research, but I did this week. And he did a really good job of talking about why this episode feels so disjointed. So um, I'll be talking about that a little bit. So I basically am citing as my source today today the TPN Buffy guide, because a lot of the information, a lot of the notes that I took were while I was watching that particular episode guide for this episode. So this episode, just watching it, it feels really disjointed. And it turns out that there are reasons for that. Number one, the, it's credited to several different writers, the writing of this episode. Um, And, you know, sometimes that can, And you can tell it was rushed because they were spending a lot of their time and resources working on Hush, the episode right before this. Um, Apparently one of the writers was getting married during the time that they were writing this episode and a lot of the other writers were like part of the wedding party for his wedding. So it's just, and they finished the writing of the episode in like a weekend. So it was probably just, it just isn't a great episode. First of all, they had to re-record a lot of the audio for Anthony Stewart Head for some reason. And you can definitely tell during the episode. It's just like you can tell that he's in a sound. His like lines are in a sound booth where everyone else is like mic'd on set. So I don't know if he just like had a cold or something and they had to re-record or there was something wrong with his microphone. They didn't know until later. But almost the entire episode, his um, dialogue is completely re-recorded after the fact. And you can tell it's distracting to me anyway I don't, I don't think it bothered my mom when she was watching it but it did bother me <laughs> um, or she just didn't say anything if it did bother her um, one the biggest thing that I want to talk about is so we start the episode with Buffy and Riley sitting across from each other on um, the dorm beds this is the last scene of Hush we start right there right there, um, in that same scene and it's, um, so they've just discovered each other as being like more than they thought. Um, Buffy now knows that he's one of those commando guys and Riley now knows that there's more to Buffy than just, you know, her being a tiny little woman and his response is, what are you? Buffy asks, who are you? And he asks, what are you? And I think that that is really telling. And that there's a parallel with that in the Angel episode that aired on the same night, um, where Kate finds out that Angel is a vampire in this particular, in that particular episode. And she responds by asking, what are you? Um, I think her response is more warranted in that particular situation because he actually like went into vamp face and her, her reaction later when they talked about it was, what are you? But I think it's kind of telling of, of the future of Riley and Buffy's relationship that his first response is to ask, what are you? He is right now part of a government agency that thinks of all supernatural things as, all supernatural beings as animals and it's, it's problematic and we're going to see a lot of that. And yes, it turns out that Riley is able to overcome a lot of that, but um, yeah, it's this episode really foretells their relationship. You know, it's called doomed and it's because, you know, Buffy's initial reaction to, finding out that he's one of the commando guys is, well, shit. I thought I was going to be... I thought that I was, for once, dating a nice, normal dude. You know, she really, for some reason, is attached to the idea that she doesn't want to date another supernatural creature. Which doesn't really totally make sense because I don't think she could have that. But for some reason, she wants that, like, it would just, it would be like never kill a boy on the first date. It would be like dating Owen if she was actually dating a normal boy, because she would have to keep her identity secret. Um, if she were actually dating a nice normal boy and it just wouldn't work. She needs somebody that can fight by her side to at least a certain extent. She at least needs someone that can kind of hold their own. Um, you know, she couldn't... Because that person would be constantly put in danger because of his connection to the Slayer. So she would need somebody that could kind of hold their own. Um, Which is why Buffy's, like, relationships with anybody are doomed just in general. And I'm glad that this show, for the most part, kind of gets that. You know, like, that's why she only ends up dating supernatural people because that's all that would make sense for a slayer. She either needs to not have a relationship or she needs to have a relationship with somebody that can hold their own and that's it. So she would think that she would be kind of relieved to find out that he actually can hold his own to a certain extent. He can fight by her side. Um, But she's not excited by that. She's initially, she just like pretty much immediately is like, oh, um, I thought you were a nice normal guy. You're not a nice normal guy. So let's end this. And from one standpoint, like, I completely get it. So the rest of the episode kind of plays out with she's reluctant to try to date him. Sorry if it's distracting, I have a heater on. In, so that's what that white noise is in the background. Hopefully it's not too loud. Um, So, I think Buffy's PTSD response in this episode is interesting. I think that's possibly the only interesting thing, thread, in this episode. And they're treating her, the other characters are all treating her like she's overreacting and blah blah blah. But she's not overreacting. She's been through a lot of shit. She's been through apocalypses. Plural. She... You know, it makes sense that her reaction to the earthquake is, oh shit, what's going on? What are the portents? Like something big could be happening right now. And Giles just kind of pooh-poohs her. It makes sense that her first reaction to finding out that Riley isn't a nice normal boy is to take a step back and like reassess. She just needs some space right now and he does not give it to her. You know, like, I think if he had just given her some time given her a couple days to really like, and I and I guess he couldn't really give her a couple of days because there was an apocalypse situation but he doesn't try to leave her alone at all. He's constantly like literally putting himself in her path and forcing her to fight this shit out and telling her that she's all doom and gloom and she should like you know have an adventure maybe maybe be excited for once or whatever. It's like First of all, he doesn't know her. He doesn't know her well enough to know that, you know, he's actually saying some true shit right now. He doesn't know that. So he really does not respect consent in this episode. So Riley gets some points taken off for sure. Um, He's pissing me off in this episode because she really needs space. She really needs to sort out her PTSD responses to having another relationship because her immediate reaction to finding out that he's part of the initiative is oh god am I doing this angel thing again am I doing this again and she's not really self-aware enough to see the nuances between these two people which tracks for her character like she's impulsive she's reactionary she so her first reaction is oh shit I need some space and he doesn't give it to her and I think that's legit I think she's allowed to have an overreaction to both Riley's character and the fact that she overreacted to the earthquake because like I can tell you as a person that's been through a life-altering tornado (laughs) um you know it used to be something that like It used to be, like, you know, tornado warnings and stuff like that um, would be exciting to me. Like, I'd go onto the porch and, like, watch the storm and it would be super exciting to me and I would be reacting more like Riley reacts. Um, Ooh, it's my first earthquake, you know? Like, I used to be excited by that before I experienced the damage that, that that a tornado can do and now every time there's, like, a freaking watch which happens multiple times every single spring, I freak the fuck out. And I know it's irrational that I freak the fuck out every single time, but it's what I do. And I can't help that. And I can totally share Buffy's annoyance at Riley not taking it seriously. But I also remember when I was younger and I had the childlike glee that Riley has in that moment. So... I think that aspect of it was interesting, but they just didn't really take it far enough. They just didn't really spend the time. They just didn't take enough time to properly execute this episode. This episode on its face could have been a good episode. I I mean, I think plot-wise, it wasn't like the general skeleton of the episode wasn't bad. It's just the execution. And it's not even just that the writing was disjointed, which it was, but the editing was terrible as well. And not just the audio editing with the fact that they had to re-record Anthony Stewart head's dialogue for some reason, but also in other ways, the editing was strange. It's, it's just not a great episode. Let me pause for a second and go get a beverage because I forgot to get one. Okay, that's better. It's daytime right now, so I'm not actually, um, (laughs) what I'm drinking is Hibiscus LaCroix. Hmm. Sponsored by Hibiscus LaCroix. I wish. We drink a lot of freaking like bubbly water beverages in my house. Okay. Let me get to my notes here. Let's see what I say what are you? Who are you? Oh, I think it's super cute. It's it's a good moment when Buffy like completely pegs him immediately. So I'm going to read the quote. Um, so like in that first scene whenever she, when he's like, what are you? And she's like, who are you? Um, he says, I can't tell you. And she says, well, then let me you're part of some military monster squad that captures demons. Vampires probably have some official sounding euphemisms for them, like unfriendlies or non-sapiens. And then he says, hostile subterrestrials. And then Buffy says, so you deliver these HSTs to a bunch of lab coats, perform experiments on them, which among other things, turns them, some of them into harmless little bunnies. How am I doing so far? Riley says, a little too well. So I think that's a really, um, good moment. Um, okay, I gotta keep that book because I'm gonna go back to that book. I didn't have to write down that particular quote exchange because it was already in the book Buffy and Philosophy. Oh. <clears throat> okay, where am I? Oh, one of my first, um... Notes for the episode is, you don't know her, Riley. <laughs> which I kind of already talked about. Giles was a little bit invalidating towards Buffy whenever she, like, as soon as the earthquake happened, which was at the end of that conversation between the two of them, they'd kind of agreed that they were going to take some space. Um, they were going to give each other some space. So I guess, you know, I'll give him a little bit of credit there. Like, they were sort of agreeing that they needed to take a second to think about The new developments in their relationship, and as soon as they made that decision, and Riley was about to leave, the earthquake happened. So right afterwards, Buffy goes to talk to Giles about the earthquake, and later in the episode, um, when Giles Giles realizes that the earthquake was actually a portent for the end of the world, he says they have this exchange, Giles and Buffy have this exchange. It's the end of the world. Buffy, Willow, and Xander are all like, again? It's, uh, the earthquake. That symbol. Yes. Buffy's like, I told you. I said, into the world. And you're like, "Pooh poo Southern California, poo-poo. And then Giles says, I'm so very sorry. My contrition completely dwarfs the impending apocalypse. Um, so that was good. Ah, oh, See, I just feel like I don't have a lot to say about this episode. I think the PTSD shit was possibly a good idea, but wasn't totally executed properly. Um, There's the whole uh, Spike sub subplot where like he decides that since he can't kill anything anymore and Drusilla has left him, he just has nothing left to live for. He's been living in Xander's basement. And he tries to stake himself. And Willow and Xander walk in. Just as he's trying to do that. And he's wearing, like... Because Xander was trying to convince him to, like, do laundry or something. Which seems weird to me. Because, like, vampires probably don't have to change their clothes very often. You know? Because I'm assuming they don't have all the same bodily fluids that the rest of us have. Um, so, like, why would he need to do Xander's laundry for him? That's weird. But he does... And, like, he's doing his own laundry, and he shrunk all of his clothes, which, like, if he does need to do his own laundry, wouldn't he know how to do his own laundry by now? You know, he's, like, 150 years old or something. He knows how to do his own laundry. Like, gross. Either he doesn't need to do laundry, so that's why he doesn't know, so he shouldn't be doing it, or he does need to do laundry, and he would definitely know how to do it by now. Either way, I call bullshit on that. But he does, that's all just a setup so that he ends up in a Hawaiian shirt and some shorts so we can all laugh at him. Um, let's see. This is the episode, so the whole Spike subplot is that he's like, you know, he's feeling depressed, he tries to off himself, it doesn't work. Um, and Xander and Willow take pity on him and they like take him with them, when they're investigating shit for the center of the world stuff. And they end up, like, getting ambushed by a bunch of demons or something like that. And Spike gives up at some point and, like, tries to fight back. He's assumed up up until this point that he can't hurt any living thing. But it's in this episode, in this moment, when he starts to fight back, that he realizes he doesn't have pain when he fights demons. So... He feels like he has a place in the world now. (laughs) He realizes he can fight demons. And at the very end of the episode, he's like super pumped up and hanging out in the basement again with Willow and Xander. And he's like, let's go fight something. Let's go kill something. What are you guys sitting on your asses for? Let's fight evil, damn it. And it's cute. So the moments with Spike and Xander and Willow in this episode are fun. So, I mean, it's not, like, a skippable episode. Like, if you're doing a rewatch, it's not one that I would, like, skip because it's that bad. It's just not that well executed. Um, Willow lays on a stranger's bed. I thought that part was weird. Like, why? first of all, why would you go into a completely dark room in someone else's dorm to lay on their bed? Like, I get that she was depressed because, like, Percy was mean to her or whatever but and I guess she was waiting for Buffy so that kind of sets up why she didn't just leave the party but yeah back in cell phone days if you told someone you were going to meet them somewhere and then they didn't show up that's something you had to do you had to just wait around to see if maybe they were just running late or whatever (laughs) there was a lot more waiting around for people back in the pre-cell phone days although 2000 I think I had a cell phone by then um, but you know, they weren't really writing cell phones into television until, you know, 2003-ish was when they became pretty prevalent, I would say. Okay, what else we got? Um, Willow versus Percy. So she runs into Percy at the party and he is really rude to her well actually he starts out being kind of nice but the person the girl that he's with just like immediately is super jealous of willow and acts like an asshole towards her and it's it's kind of dumb like i don't get why she was that awful but whatever Um, super gross, later in the episode like, there's a bunch of arguments between Riley and Buffy just throughout the episode, because he's like, come on, I think think this will be an adventure, it just turns out we have more in common than we thought, and blah 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 and he has a lot of good points but again, he needs to respect the fact that she needs space right now like, they don't the way that he's fighting with her is as if he's known her a long time, and they've actually had more of a relationship than they have, you know In reality, all they've been on is a few dates, and they have had one first kiss in the last episode, you know? So the way that he's treating her is as if, you know, they've been dating for months, you know? And and I think at that point, he would have a right to kind of get in her face if he knew her well enough to know that she tends to run and she tends to isolate herself. He doesn't know that about her yet. So even though he's right, and it's just, it's too soon for him to be acting like this. So it bothers me, but whatever. And this is where he says, he says something about his skin humming when they're together and how exciting she is and stuff. And that part's cute. But then he's like, my every inch of me, my skin is humming my every inch of me or whatever. And it's like, ooh, Riley, don't say my every inch of me. No, stop. Um, they end up having to go back to the school for some reason. Oh yeah, because the the demons that are trying to bring apart the end of the world. Um, that's the end of my notes. The end of my notes is, the literal school and the life they had with it is gone. Which is a quote from the Passion of the Nerds video recap on this episode. Um, they have to go back there because that's where the hell mouth is. And so... There ends up being. This is the first time that Buffy and Riley are fighting together. Um, she jumps into the Hellmouth to grab one of the demons because the demons were sacrifices to bring a part, bring about the end of the world. They were sacrificing themselves, so she goes in after the very last one falls in, and it's a whole physics nightmare because, like, first of all, she wouldn't be able to fall fast enough to catch up to another person that was falling (laughs) into the rabbit hole of hell. Um, First of all, second of all, like she's attached to like a pulley rope thing that Riley has on his belt, which I'm pretty sure her pants would just rip off or something (laughs) with that kind of force once she got to the end of it. Plus he pulls her back up, Like, he literally, like, pulls her entire body weight as she's holding on to the demon up through the hole with just his bare hands. It's just, it's so distracting to watch. Like, that is so, you have to suspend so much disbelief. It's not even funny with that shit. And it bothers me. But, I mean, that's it. That's, like, that's all, like, that's all of my notes. So... Let's just go ahead and call that the discussion of the episode Doomed. It is not the best first episode for us to be talking about of the 2000s, but that's what happened. For whatever reason, we don't have a Buffy birthday episode in this season. So, I mean, I guess there isn't one in every single season. I feel like we did have one in the first three seasons. I mean, we had the one of her 18th birthday, the Cruciamentum. We had the one where in the second season, when Angel had to, the judge or whatever gets assembled. Uh, right? Is it the judge? Is it the judge? I think so. Um. Yeah, maybe we've only had two birthday. Buffy birthday episode so far actually I kind of want to look back and see if there was one in season one there is because she okay hold on (laughs) hold on no because Buffy is a Capricorn on the cusp of Aquarius (laughs) (laughs) um so that that since season one was like a season was like a half season mid-season replacement um it started after her birthday and ended before Her next birthday. So, there was no birthday episode in season one. So, this is the first time we haven't had a birthday episode when it's around her birthday time, which we could have definitely had one. I think a birthday Buffy doomed episode would have been a little better. I mean, it would have totally made sense that there is an apocalypse situation that was happening on her birthday. They could have added that in, but whatever. They didn't. At least we wished her a happy birthday, right? Okay. So, okay, now we just come to my ratings of the episode. Um, Featured object of the episode. Let's see, let me really think back. I don't remember anything really cool in Giles' apartment. There really weren't any, like, new set pieces or anything. Mm, Didn't really get any good scenes. I mean, I guess the high school being destroyed, they were in that. But I don't think there is a featured object in this episode. I'm just going to go ahead and add... There's going to be a lot of not applicables in the ratings this week. Because as far as quotes, there weren't any really standout quotes either. Um, No standout outfits. I don't even remember, like... 2000 was a terrible time for fashion, honestly. Um, Yeah, I mean, I guess we could give... I mean, let's just be funny, since there's not an actual good outfit in the episode. Let's just give the outfit of the episode to Spike in his um, borrowed Hawaiian shirt and uh, khaki shorts. (laughs) So we're going to give that to Spike. MVP of the episode... You know, I think I'm going to give that to Spike too, simply because he is evolving as a character and this is, this is an episode, if for nothing else, I, you know, don't skip it because it develops his character in an important way, him finding out that he can fight evil. I mean, it really just cements the fact that Spike is pretty much chaotic neutral You know, he doesn't give a shit if he's fighting for evil or against evil as long as it's in alignment with who he loves and as long as he gets to do some violence. (laughs) You know, so he doesn't care. Like, it doesn't... There's never, like, a moral... You know, it's not like he ever really bemoans the fact that he's... I mean, he does bemoan the fact that he doesn't fit into either world completely anymore. But he just doesn't think twice about, oh, I can fight demons. Let's go ahead and fight them now. I'm good with that. It's fine. You know, like he doesn't, he's fine. He's fine. As long as he can fight something. So, um, and he's also, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So let's just give it to Spike. Five by five. So treatment of women in this episode. God, I don't even know if this episode passes the Bechdel test. Oh, it does. Well, because there are conversations between Buffy and Willow, but the only conversations I can remember between the two of them are Willow complaining that Percy called her a nerd. So she's kind of having to reckon with the fact that she feels... uh, She feels like now that Oz is gone, she's no longer cool. Like, she's reverting. She feels like she's reverting back to her old nerd self. And this episode kind of displays some of those insecurities, which is nice. Um, That's a nice part of her character development, too, just to have a little bit of that thrown in. So that's another good thing about this episode. But I don't know if it even passes the Bechdel test, necessarily. If it does, it's very brief, because the only conversations between two women at all are between Buffy and Willow. Because that's it. Like, there's no other women in this episode literally no other women in this entire episode we don't see professor walsh um even in like the initiative scenes it's all just like dudes it's all dudes either dudes in lab coats or dudes in camo and that's it i don't remember a single woman because the only woman in the initiative is professor walsh um we don't see anya in this episode at all and those are really the only two other, the only two women characters right now besides Buffy and Willow. That's really sad for a quote-unquote feminist show. There sure aren't that many women at this point. So I'm actually looking forward to the addition of Dawn. I am. I don't hate Dawn the way that I did when I first met her. <laughs> um, and of course. There was no Tara in this episode either, but of course I'm looking forward to her. So as far as treatment of women, I mean, Riley was being a little bit... not necessarily like literally sexist, but he was not respecting her boundaries, for sure. So I'm going to give it a two as far as treatment of women, because they're invisible. They're just not there. Um, and then enjoyability of the episode like like I said it's fine it's fine I'll give it a two so the episode overall gets a four for my five by five ratings. Let's talk about the episode of Angel that aired the exact same night. I do not I'm gonna go ahead and read you my notes. I have literally one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen words. On this episode, <laughs> so the episode is called Somnambulist. Let's look. A- let's look that up. Let's look that word up because they obviously want to pick a word that no one knows, so that you have to look it up. Somnambulist. It's hard to spell. Yes, I'm making you listen to me look up a word on the internet. Somnambulist is a person who walks about in his or her sleep. Okay, so this is an episode. Let me, let me read you my notes first, and then I will extrapolate upon them. These are my 15 words that I wrote about this episode. Ugh, Jeremy Renner. Angel is dreaming murder. Kate, Kate's dialogue. What are you? Kate stakes pin through Angel. So we are introduced to a character named Pen, who's played by Jeremy Renner, which ew. And he is murdering; he's doing serial murders, like one every single night. Like he doesn't even take a break. It's ridiculous. But and he's carving crosses into their cheeks. And um, Angel recognizes this as some as something that he used to do, which I call bullshit something that's that big a part of like the way that Angel used to kill that was his like signature killing style and we don't know this about him already I call bullshit um but overall the episode is just taken by itself without the context of the fact that we would know this about Angel already um, if the writers hadn't just thought of it um It's, it's a fairly well-structured episode because, um, it sets up the fact that Angel is always going to be worried that he's going to go evil again. And anyone that chooses to work with him is always going to be worried that he's going to go evil again, especially people, because he's currently working with Wesley and Cordelia who have both seen him evil. Actually, Wesley hasn't. I don't think Wesley has. Because when he showed up on the scene, Angel was had already come back from hell and he was good again. But he was well-researched enough that he understands... He knows the information of when Angel was Angelus. And, like, they're, they're setting it up that, like, at any time it could become, you know, important for us to kill our main character because he might go evil. And I like that they're doing that. And I like that they show... In several different scenes, they show Cordelia sort of like being super loyal to Angel and backing him up. But then in in a beat, she'll be like, oh, I'll stake you dead. Like the second you turn, it's over. I'm going to kill you. And I like that. They're giving Cordelia more to do now that Doyle is gone. So that's a good thing. Um, they actually, I read this somewhere. I don't remember where I heard this, but the conversation between Cordelia and Angel at the very end of the episode, um, it's a sort of like touching moment situation that was supposed to be a conversation. It was originally written to be a conversation between Doyle and Angel, but I think it works so much better. I think the fact that it's almost like they didn't trust charisma carpenter to have what it takes. I mean, they could have had her doing the whole vision thing from the beginning. We never needed a Doyle. Doyle didn't have to be there. all of those like you know it could have been Cordelia from the beginning or someone else but i'm I'm happy to see Cordelia having more to do and she will continue to develop as a character. so it's nice to see that starting to happen and it's nice to see Wesley too like he's just being a being a doofus at this point and it's fine. he's trying to make himself useful um, and he's also just kind of like doing a side eye towards Angel at all times which I think is appropriate because you never know (laughs) like working for an insold vampire you know that's new territory like there literally isn't a single other insold vampire at this point in the Buffyverse so it makes sense to be wary and I think that's a good thing so it turns out that Pen is actually which is, is another thing I call bullshit on because I feel like at this point we have known angel for you know almost four years now i feel like at this point we would know if angel had a bunch of you know vampire babies out there and this episode introduces someone that he sired like a hundred years ago or more and i guess it would be more than that because he's been in sold for like the last hundred years but anyway We're introduced to a vampire that he made and he ran around with for a while. We've never heard of him before and we'll never hear about him again. So I just think that kind of thing, just like tacking that shit on like that. I just, from a plot perspective, I just think it's gross. Like don't introduce some vampire baby for one episode. I mean, that's a big deal. Choosing to make someone immortal is a big deal. And we have up to this point and i i think i don't think this is ever brought up again that like he has any other vampire babies it's like the only vampire he ever made was drusilla that is all we ever know is that he made drusilla and that is it and you know just to throw this guy in there for one episode it it was all just a conceit to reveal to kate who he was Um, so this is the first time that Kate, the detective, the small blonde girl that he needs to save, (laughs) um, finds out. And throughout the episode, there's a lot of like him asking her in the beginning of the episode, he asks her if she trusts him and she says, you know, I do, or something like that. And her trust is immediately taken away as soon as she finds out that he's a vampire. And to us, it kind of looks like she's overreacting because she immediately starts researching vampires, which I also call bullshit on the fact that she was able to find out a bunch of shit about Angelus and about his history like, overnight. Like, did she go borrow some of Giles' books? Like, that stuff wouldn't be on the internet in the year 2000. Like, how did she find all that shit out? Like, she doesn't work for the Talamasca. (laughs) Okay. Um, Sorry, that's... That's a Anne Rice reference. (laughs) The Talamask is kind of like the Watcher's Council. She doesn't work for the Watcher's Council. Um, So I call bullshit on her finding out all the information on him. But the fact that she just like immediately needs space from Angel when she finds out that he's a vampire. um, She didn't even know vampires existed before this. So she needs time. So it may look like she's overreacting to us to like completely shut him out and stop trusting him immediately. But it makes sense. That's what a person would do in her situation. Um, So if I did MVP ratings for um, Angel, which I don't, but if I did in this episode, it would be Kate. Because she adapts pretty quickly to learning that there are vampires in the world and she does a shit ton of research. And she rises to the occasion. She stakes Pen. And she does it with such precision that, like, Pen is behind Angel and has his arms, like, pinned back. And she stakes through Angel's stomach at such an angel, Angel, (laughs) at such an angle that it goes up into Pen's heart. And I realize that's kind of, like, how could she have been that precise, but... She's a badass. So she did that on purpose. Like, even though she didn't know how she felt about Angel, she feels like maybe he's a liability. She's She feels like maybe he can't be trusted. She doesn't really know. She's not completely in black and white thinking mode like Riley is right now. Um, but I guess he's not completely in black and white thinking either. But she knows enough to she is skeptical enough that she is going to allow him to live and she doesn't want to kill him so I think that's really cool that that's how the episode ends with her staking pin through Angel and he's like you missed and she's like no I didn't she knew exactly what she was doing I like that I thought that was just a good moment so does this episode pass a vectal test absolutely not the only two female characters in Angel are Cordelia and Kate. And they do not talk to each other at all in this episode. And there just aren't any other women at all in this episode. That's it. Um, so my 5 by 5 ratings. Let's see. As far as, like, treatment of women in the episode... I mean, they gave Cordelia... They're giving her shit to do. And they're letting Kate be a somewhat nuanced character and they're letting her be a badass a little bit um, she's not totally damsel in distress in this episode um, so I'll give it a three it's it's decent I mean the fact that two women do not talk to each other and there aren't enough women means it's not higher than that but the women that are on screen are being treated decent in this episode and as far as overall enjoyability of the episode, like, I fucking hate Jeremy Renner, and there are just, like, problems with this episode that I talked about already, but overall it's not a bad episode, and it's one that needs to be there because of some of the things that it accomplished. Like, Kate at some point needed to find out that he was a vampire, and, like, figure out how to repair her trust in him. Um... We needed, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's fine. This episode is fine. I'll give it, let's see. It's about the same level as fine, I think, as Doomed. Like, as far as the actual, like, amount that I enjoy watching this episode, it was about on par with Doomed. So I'm going to give it a two, because that's what I gave Doomed. So it gets a six altogether. (laughs) So it gets a higher score, because it gets a higher score that's okay um yeah it's interesting because like I hold Buffy episodes to such a higher standard that I end up scoring them lower if I just kind of think they're okay whereas with Angel episodes I'm like shocked if I think they're okay because I don't hold any expectations for them so don't ever take my rating system seriously I know no one is but just in case don't because it's totally inaccurate So I think that's it. Like, (laughs) I feel like I talked so little, but it's still been 45 minutes. Anyway, I hope you guys are having a great 2020 so far. Happy new decade. Happy new year. It's the first time I've gotten to talk to you guys this year. Um, just a little bit of like a personal update. Like I told you guys last week or last week, last, last episode, I think I told you that I was having this like, dead tooth situation going on. I finally have the procedure scheduled. So I'm going to be getting one of my front teeth removed on Wednesday, the 22nd. So be thinking of me (laughs) if you're listening to this in real time. Um, And they're going to be putting in um, an implant. So um, I, and don't think, you know, because by the time I'll be recording the episode to talk about the Buffy episode, Um, so next week we'll be talking about a new man and then the angel episode called Expecting. Oh God, that's the one, that's the one where Cordelia gets like pregnant with the demon baby and it's awful. Um, at least I remember it as being awful. (laughs) Um, not excited about talking about that episode or watching it again, to be frank, but, I, I would assume that, you know, that at that point it will be three days after my extraction. So like, I think I'll probably be fine to record the episode. Like within like 48 hours, I'll probably be totally fine. I assume there'll be like, you know, some pain and some bleeding and stuff like the first 24 to 48 hours. But I should be good to go. It just depends on if I'm going to like have enough If I'm going to want to be talking a lot, since the tooth thing, you know, it's possible that I'm not going to feel like talking a lot, especially if I'm still in pain in my mouth. So, I mean, I don't anticipate that there will be an issue, but if for some reason the episode does not come out next weekend, um, it'll probably just be like a few days late or something, but I assume that everything will be fine and I'll be able to be on schedule. So... That's next week. Um, Wish me luck on my operation. It's not really an operation. It's more like a procedure. But I'm nervous about it, of course, because I've had a lot of these types of procedures before in my past. And I also, like, I'm kind of a broke person. Um, I don't have insurance, so this is all just, like, out-of-pocket expenses. So because of that, I can't afford the extra expenses to, like, have myself be put out or anything like that um and because it's a front tooth that they're going to be working on like they'll be able to do nitrous for part of it so I think I'm going to take that option um they can't do it for the whole time but I'm thinking just for anxiety reasons that might be a good idea to just go ahead and do the nitrous for the part that they can do it for um yeah, it's probably just going to be better for my anxiety to just go to, go ahead and take that option. (laughs) But, um, yeah, anyway, so that's what I'm dealing with. Thanks for listening. Um, you guys are the best. Uh, yeah, I'll see you next week. Bye.